the need to be good will never end. I firmly believe we will never go back to being 100% in person. Our clients like it too much. The others that we deal with, it's just too convenient to do the things that we need to do for our work and for our business virtually. And so the time to truly master the skills is now. Because if you can, I think you have a leg up. Working women, how many things are you expected to do on a daily basis? Between walking those 10,000 steps, hydrating, making plant-based meals for our family, Pinterest-worthy lunches for our kids, spectacular date nights for our husband, and let's not forget, climbing that corporate ladder, we're asked to do these things each and every day. So much so that often it feels like we are trying to balance on the high wire of life. So welcome to the High Wire Woman podcast, hosted by me, Rosanna Brary. I'm an immigration lawyer, a mother to a teenage son, a wife, and an entrepreneur who truly believes that working women can have it all. Join me as I interview other high-achieving women, and together, let's learn about the skills and the fortitude that we need to create the happy, prosperous, and balanced life we so richly deserve. Hello, everyone. Highway Women Podcast. Here we go. It's been a while since I've recorded a new episode. So today I'm delighted to have on Marsha Redmond. Marsha is a communications expert, has a degree in communications, also a graduate of the University of San Diego School of Law. She does something really cool, something non-traditional that I think is fascinating. She works with lawyers and executives on communication, how to public speak, how to look good on Zoom, how to do workshops business development training, marketing coaching, media training. These are all things that are super important skills, no matter what your line of work is, that people just expect you to know how to do. They think when you go to law school and you started a big firm, you know how to develop this. I didn't know how to do that. They think you know how to market in your current job. I didn't know how to do that either. If you ever get called to do media, that's a whole other world out there. I'm one of the freaks of nature that love doing media interviews, but it's not an easy skill set to come by, and it is very nerve-wracking. So today, we have Marsha Redman on the podcast, who's going to talk to us about her story and some great tips and tricks for improving your virtual presence. So Marsha, welcome to the High Wire Woman podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here with you. Where are you joining us from today? I'm in Maryland, right outside Washington, D.C., Great. And has the Cherry Blossom Festival passed? The wind kind of blew a lot of them off, I think. Oh, boy. Yeah. We've had that same issue here in Buffalo, New York as well. So, Marsha, tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. Well, I am a serial reinventor. I've had a series of careers, all with a goal toward creating work that I love. I started out as a broadcast journalist. I worked in radio news right out of college in the Florida Keys, which was my hometown, and did small markets for a while. And then I decided I would become a lawyer. Like you, I went to law school. Mm -hmm. I practiced law at a large law firm. And do you know, they don't let you actually do trials at large law firms, which was the whole reason I went there. Oh boy. Surprise. (laughs) Surprise for sure. So I did that for about five years and realized that I liked public speaking. I wanted to stand up and talk. So I was able to leverage my career as a lawyer and get into much larger TV markets. So I did that for some time and found it satisfying because I was able to do consumer reporting, which let me help solve problems for people. Of course, most of them women because they were solving the problems for the household. 
And then I aged out of that and started this business 23 years ago. So my goal was to focus on the legal market because that was where my past experience was. And as you mentioned, doing all of those things with lawyers and executives, really teaching them how to communicate effectively in a lot of different scenarios, whether it's talking to the media, talking to their clients, giving speeches, in many cases, all with the goal toward helping people understand what their expertise was and really raising their profiles so that they're seen in the market for what they're good at doing. Like I said, those skills don't come natural to most people. So one of the unfortunate consequences of the pandemic is our beloved affection of Zoom and Zoom calls and team calls. And it seems like even though a lot of people are back in the office, they still want to have these calls. You know, one of my friends is in the banking industry. She's like, oh my God, I'm on Zoom calls all day still. We thought this was maybe a pandemic thing, but it seems like people still like to see one another when speaking. So tell us about virtual calls. What are we doing wrong? Tell us what you've seen. I'm sure you've seen it all in your vast career. Absolutely. My job has morphed very much over the last several years. Once the pandemic started, before that, I was doing in-person presentation skills and public speaking. So all of the work was based on in-person. I quickly pivoted literally within a week and turned all of my scheduled workshops into workshops around how to communicate effectively virtually over Zoom, WebEx, whatever. And we all have the same challenges. I've seen professionals show up on Zoom doing a webinar, doing a panel presentation in front of hundreds of people sideways. They were using an iPad, turned it the wrong way. Yeah, it's not good. And then folks who join from places that really aren't good places to join from. So they're driving the car and communicating or in places where it's noisy. So lots of mistakes can be had. I think many of us have seen them all. But really the most important thing I can say about virtual presence and virtual communicating is that the need to be good will never end. I firmly believe we will never go back to being 100% in person. Our clients like it too much. The others that we deal with, it's just too convenient to do the things that we need to do for our work and for our business virtually. And so the time to truly master the skills is now. Because if you can, I think you have a leg up. Yeah, I agree. I don't think we're ever going to go back to just talking on the phone or meeting in person. I think this virtual medium is here to stay. And it's so easy to tell who's really good and who's practice if they're delivering a webinar or a virtual presentation versus someone who's winging it or maybe doing it for the first time. So what advice can you give to the high-wire women out there that are busy in their careers and they have an afternoon of Zoom calls lined up? What are a couple takeaways that we can give today that will help them be more confident and more effective. Yes. So I have three very important tips. And if we have time, we'll get to the additional tips. So the first thing is you absolutely need to imagine that you're talking to one person, especially in those cases where maybe you're on a panel, maybe you're doing a presentation, whether it's formal or informal, you may have five people on the screen, 20, 50, whatever. Imagine you're speaking to one person. It's a lot easier to make eye contact in a way that makes sense and to connect with however many people are on the other end of the call if you imagine it's just one person. It's something I learned in broadcast TV school and it's really served me well, as well as a lot of the people that I've worked with. Because I know for a lot of us, 
bringing me to the next point, we're unable to make eye contact because we don't actually look at the camera. What we're doing right. is <laughs> looking at the video of the people that we're talking to. And that's fine for us. It makes us feel comfortable because we feel like we're looking at someone. We're not speaking into the void. However, when you think of the people on the other end, your audience's perspective, they feel like you're not meeting their eye. You're not looking at them. So they feel disconnected from you. Now, the upside is if you can look right at the camera, especially in the beginning of your communication, your audience feels like they're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, which really builds relationship. It's actually more effective than if we were in person having a one-to-many communication, especially in those cases where many of you would be far away at the other end of a conference table or in a presentation setting. They might be 40 feet away from the stage if you were on a stage. And so what I'm really talking about is leveraging what I like to call the talking head expert phenomena. So if mm -hmm. you can look like a talking head, which is you have a little bit of headroom, you're centered in right. the screen, you're looking at the camera, people have this feeling that you have expertise because we all have that image burned into our brains that talking head people are experts. So that's step two. And then step three is get your framing right. And so mm. your camera needs to be at eye level. So if you were to look at yourself on your next Zoom call, if you notice that you see a lot of neck and chin, that means your camera is too low. <laughs> if you see a lot of forehead and you look really mm -hmm. small, that means your camera is too high. I love those tips. It is really tricky sometimes to forget to look at the camera. I mean, that sounds so obvious, but we have so many devices between the iPad and the little camera on our desktop. And sometimes people are doing things, you know, on the fly on their phones. But looking at that camera is so critical to know where it is and to focus on that as if you're talking to one person. And I love the framing comment because so many times, and it's one of my pet peeves on TV and the news, they'll interview an expert. And, you know, all you're looking up is the expert's nose. And I'm like, oh my God, lower your camera or look straight ahead or, you know, it's nothing worse than that nose shot. Nobody wants to see that. <laughs> we definitely don't want to see it. Now, the other question I'm often asked, and this happened a lot at the beginning of Zoom. And I think when people didn't get a solution, they just turned off their cameras. So a lot of people will mm -hmm. say, you know, I don't like how I look on Zoom. I look tired. I look old. Here's the trick. Simple, simple solution. Turn off the overhead light. If you are under an overhead light, it's casting shadows around your eyes, your nose, mm -hmm. and your mouth, and that's making you look old or tired. Usually the best lighting setup is to turn off the overhead light and shine light directly on your face. So whether it's a desk lamp and you maybe you've thrown a pillowcase over it or a piece of paper mm -hmm. to make it softer or a ring light, an open window if you know you can rely on sun. Mm -hmm. But that's really the trick to looking good is having light coming straight at your face and then also not having light behind you that's shining toward the camera. So what happens then is it darkens your face so your audience cannot read your expression. And that's crucial because we judge each other based on the criteria we've had in the past for in-person communication. And people want to read your expression. They want to see your eyes. And so we need to make sure that over Zoom, they can do that. So that means good light on your face, no light behind you, making you backlit, which causes you to be dark. And then if you wear glasses, you need to make sure 
that you don't have a reflection in the glasses, which means we can't see your eyes. And that one's tricky to solve. That one's really tricky because I wear glasses and I do a lot of media and I do a lot of interviews and a lot of videos. And luckily for me, I have an amazing digital media partner who's always fussing around with the lights when he films me because of my glasses. Because then you get that glare. Looks terrible. And it's super tricky. It is. The thing to look at, though, if you do have the problem, look at the shape of the light in your glasses. So if the shape Mm -hmm. that's reflecting in your glasses is a rectangle, then usually that means that it's actually the screen. Your screen is too bright. So turn down the screen brightness on your monitor. But if it's a circle, then it means you have light in the room and the light is shining on your glasses. So a solution there can often be to push the light up so it's very, very high and it's shining Mm -hmm. down on your face in a way that lights your face. But when you nod your head up and down, which I see you and I both do a lot, Mm -hmm. you don't end up seeing the light in your glasses when your head goes up. That's the only solution I've found. Yeah, super interesting. So Marcia, tell me about when people are on Zoom calls from home and they're sitting in their bedroom and you see their bed. Tell me about that. What is that? What happens during those calls? Because I instantly start being really judgmental and I'm distracted by the person's bedspread and their pillows. And is that a definitely, please don't do when you're on a call? I'd say avoid it if it's at all possible. I've worked with a lot of lawyers and other professionals that are in San Francisco and New York, and they're in tiny little places. And so Mm -hmm. they don't have a lot of options. And in those cases, I often say, you know, sometimes the solution is simply kind of spinning your laptop around a little to the left or a little to the right and just seeing what you can do given the space that you have so that we don't see the whole bit or maybe we see just a quarter or an edge mm-hmm. or try unconventional places. I know a female partner at a law firm here in the US who turned her closet, her walk-in closet into her space and it's gorgeous and she does IP law. So it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was able to turn it into an advantage for sure. But I find kitchens distracting as well, especially when people come in and out of the kitchen. I've seen a a case where someone started cooking behind someone who was doing a meeting. Oh, that's terrible. What are your thoughts on blurring out the background? I know on Zoom, you can have that blurred look. Is that a yes or a no in your professional opinion? It depends on what you have if you don't blur. So if there are things that are distracting, then I say try the blur. I'm not a big fan of having a virtual background. In many cases, virtual backgrounds don't work. And so every time you move, your ear disappears, your hair disappears. That's more distracting than anything you might actually have behind you. So I'd say try blur if you need to. Otherwise, try to get some distance between your back and whatever's behind you. So if you can scoot farther away from a really cluttered bookcase or something like that, Mm -hmm. that can help. That's great. I do a lot of calls and a lot of media and I have an area in my house that I set up and it's a table, good lighting. That's my dedicated media spot. And I have really great light shining on me. And I've got to tell you, having that and with a nice background, I get so many compliments and I where I get phone calls because my setting looks good. You know, the local media wants to talk about the latest immigration development. I'm ready to go. I've got that. And it wasn't terribly expensive to get the good lighting and the nice background with a fake tree and a little picture. And I mean, I think that's a really good investment in your career if you're doing a lot of calls and presentations. Would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. And the thing about the media, putting on my former media hat, is to your point, they like people who say yes, who can do it quickly, and you're dependable. They know that you're going to look good. Your background will look good. It will look professional because they're putting you forth as an expert. And so they want to make sure you look like an expert and that you show up when they need you. And so you've checked all the boxes to make it easy (laughs) for them to keep coming back to you, which is wonderful. It's those little things, right? It's the little things that set you apart from everyone else. So I know that you have a lot of resources on your website. I know you have a five-pronged takeaway for our listeners. I do. It's a checklist. It's called Five Steps to Being a Powerful Virtual Presenter. So it walks you through all of these tips we were talking about, plus some more. And it also includes a few recommendations for inexpensive, but really good quality video equipment. So the things that you can use on Zoom to look good and sound good reliably. So you just turn it on and go and you're ready for anything. It's really amazing how affordable some good lighting is and a good microphone. People have the perception that it's thousands of dollars, but you can get a really powerful light on Amazon for 30 bucks and use that very often. And even if you're just doing regular calls in your day-to-day work, I still encourage people to always look really good and sharp when they're speaking. So before we let you go, Marsha, tell us one thing that you wish everybody that did virtual calls, presentations, webinars did. What's your most important thing? Well, we've talked about the visual things. Beyond that, of course, what matters most is your content. So please, please sketch out three or four bullets and think about what is the takeaway? What do I want my audience to do after I speak? What do I want them to know? But I really urge you, what do you want them to do? Because if you're clear on your messaging and you're concise and direct, you'll come across with authority that matches how good and how well you sound now that you've worked out the details of virtual presenting. That's great. If listeners want to know more and want to find out about the five tips, where can they find that? Sure. So the five tips, you can download them if you go to Presence Tips. So that's P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E-T-I-P-S dot com. And for more information, you can just go to my website. So my website is my first name, Marsha, M-A-R-S-H-A. So Marsha.com. I love that. Your website, it's great. It's simple and easy to find you. And listeners, we will have Marsha's website and presence tips link in our show notes. So be sure to check those out. Marcia, thank you so much for being here today. I solve problems for working women and boy, do we have a lot of them right now, but many, many, many of us are always on film, on camera, talking to someone. And thank you for these simple tips that can really set us apart from others and lead us to our success. So Highway Women, check out Marcia, Marcia marcia.com, simple and easy to find. We'll give you lots of tips. You don't have to be a lawyer to look at this. You can be in any industry. There are a lot of good takeaways. And thank you for listening. Until the next time, stay on that high wire. Thank you for listening to the High Wire Woman podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or others, I hope you'll share it with a friend so together we can all stay on that high wire of life. Make sure to subscribe or follow us on your favorite listening platform so you never miss an episode. And follow us on social media at... Highwire Woman for more information. Until next time, I'm Rosanna Berardi. Be sure to stay on that highwire of life.